Hey everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Brendan Carr. Today's guest is Stu Smith. Stu is a former Navy SEAL with over 20 years of experience in working with folks in the special ops, military, law enforcement, and firefighting fitness genre known as tactical fitness. Stu is also the author of Warrior Workouts. In this episode, Stu tells us about his own journey as a Navy SEAL and what it takes to pass Navy SEAL selection. He tells us about how to overcome test anxiety, and he tells us about the relationship between mental toughness and physical fitness. So Stu, you must get this question a lot, but how did you decide to become a Navy SEAL? Oh, okay. You know, right from the start. Um, I would say this, you know, I went to the Naval Academy and when I originally joined the Naval Academy, I wanted to be a pilot. You know, that was, you know, Top Gun had been out a few years before and, you know, it was pretty cool to, you know, want to fly in a jet and land on an aircraft carrier and do all that cool stuff. Um, I got there and I, for, for about a year, that was my plan. And then I met a, a Marine that I really liked and I was like, hmm, maybe I'll, I'll look into this Marine Corps thing. And then that's the cool thing about the Academy. It gives you four years to kind of bounce around and kind of figure out what you want to do. And then um, I got invited to do, you know, an early morning SEAL PT workout. And I said, okay, yeah, sure. One of my buddies on the rugby team was doing it. And it just killed me. Like I was just completely wiped out. And it was, I think it was probably a little embarrassing. You know, I was last. You know, I was on my knees doing push-ups. I mean, it was pretty bad. So I said, I think I, I need to redeem myself in this, right? And so I just kept going, and I kept going. I kept getting better and kept getting better. And then next thing I know, I was like, okay, I, I think I really want to do this. I, I admire the people who went before me. You know, they were good role models, you know, and I, I eventually wanted to do that. So it, it kind of was a kick in the face of like, hey, here's the Navy SEALs. Do you really want to do this? And then uh, it, you know, after some constant effort, a little bit of consistency, um, I was able to compete on a level with them, and um, you know that 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 helped as well. So, you know, it, it it was a long journey. I would say probably two and a half years of kind of hemming and hawing on where I really wanted to go, and then the last two, you know, year and a half, two years, I really said, all right, I got to make my mind and go full speed. And that's what I did. So, wow. How, how did you break that down? How did you go from, you know, being last and doing push-ups on your knees to being someone who could get through buds? Um, well, it is a journey and it, it is a long journey because I was a powerlifting football player that didn't quite, wasn't quite good enough to make the Navy football team, which back then they weren't very good, which tells you I really wasn't that good. Um, but then I played rugby. So that was kind of a good transition into a little more running because, you know, before that I would, you know, anything over a hundred yards was considered long distance. I mean, that was just the way it went. I was power, strength, speed, and agility. The, those were the four things that I was concerning myself with. And, you know, a mile run was like, yeah, yeah, no, no, thanks. You know, so anyway, uh, it was a long journey to, to make that transition. Uh, when I really realized I wanted to do it, um, I, uh, actually started doing triathlons. You know, I just, I said, I'm, I'm going to stop lifting weights and I knew my weaknesses was endurance and, you know, running and swimming. So I figured if I can run and swim and do some non-impact 
in between and you know those days and uh you know not constantly be running you know because i wasn't prepared for you know running 30 miles a week like a lot of the other guys were doing so i had to progress into it and and that's what it was it was a steady progression kind of focused on speed so i worked on real fast miles and then then it was a real fast mile and a half and then a real fast two miles and then you know obviously start slowing down a little bit but you know, I kind of built it that way versus built the distance first, uh, built the speed first and the power first, and then built the muscle stamina endurance following it, which, mm-hmm. which in, in turn, it had a, a really good foundation, you know, having that foundation of strength, I think really helped me, um, to take, um, you know, take the endurance and muscle stamina to another level and then to another level, you know, when I was attending, you know, SEAL training. So I was just a little more durable, I, I thought. Yeah, I could see that. So, yeah. so you built this, this really robust base of fitness, but there seems to be some sort of X factor. I know, I know guys who are elite athletes, Ironman triathlon types who have gone to buds and, and haven't made it. What do you think separates people beyond that baseline that's physical? Um, ooh, yeah, that, that's the biggest question. You know, I, I would say... You know, you just can't measure someone's heart. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you might show up there and you're the best athlete that has ever attended SEAL training. And w- I've seen this. I mean, I've seen collegiate, Olympic, professional, you know, caliber athletes that, um, you know, show up and, and only last a few days, you know, of a six-month course. And you're, you're going to have, you know, all your attrition is front-end loaded. You're going to lose everybody in about four weeks is typically how, you know, SEAL training starts. You might start with 190, 200 people. And then by the end of hell week, which is the fourth week, um, you're, you're going to be down to about 40 people, right? So it's, that's, you lose a lot of people after that. You don't lose anybody else after hell week. It just, you know, you've kind of proven yourself and you're, you're in there to stay unless you do something stupid, but you know, there's, there's a lot to it. It's not just running and swimming and, you know, having, a strong body. It's, it's being uncomfortable. It's doing all these elements with sand in your pants and being wet. It's doing it at night, you know, make it, you know, night swims and being in the ocean in the dark and underwater in the dark. And, you know, so there's, there's a lot more to it than just the, the physical side, which there is plenty of physical. Um, but, uh, I think the, the term getting comfortable being uncomfortable uh, probably is the best way to explain how the guys who aren't necessarily the best athletes still make it, you know, they're just kind of a durable and, you know, really don't care about being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so now people are, are coming to you when they want to prepare for something like this, or you, you work with people in other lines of work, they're similar, you call them tactical sure. athletes. Yeah. What, what's your thought process when you look at someone and you want to, you want to help them to get through a big challenge like this? Well, you know, that's a great question because I mean, it, you know, I have a shirt that I've created that it says it depends, <laughs> right? The, the answer, it depends. It's the worst answer you can give as a trainer. It, it depends, but it really depends on a lot of factors. You know, I usually, uh, say, all right, so let's look at your age, your height and weight. That's real simple right from the start. So, cause that, that can be a distinguishing factor you know, any, any one of those. And then let's take it athletic history. You know, what have you done for the last, you know, 10 years, you know, maybe five years, depending on, you know, your age, 
you know, where have you spent most of your time in activity? Has it been no activity? Has it been football sports? Has it been endurance sports? You know, where, where are you on that spectrum? Uh, and then, um, you know, since this is a, a very test oriented fir- first phase, you know, let's see how you do on this standard fitness test, which is a 500 yard swim, pull up, push up, sit ups, mile and a half run right in that order or roughly in that order. I think I messed up the pull up, push up, sit ups, pull ups, mile and a half. Um, and so we get, get kind of get a, a day one assessment of see where they are. You know, can they even finish the 500 yard swim? Are we going to have to spend more time swimming? You know, did they come with a swimming background and we can skip all the swimming altogether, you know, and just use it as a recovery tool, you know, for other, other elements. So once again, you know, everything kind of bounces around depending on how these answers go, right? It's almost like a, a little a weird maze that, you know, you hit one of these answers, you go this way, you hit one of these answers, you go this way. And, uh, in the end you, you see that where their weaknesses are, you see where their strengths are. And then we try to take all those weaknesses that they have and mold them into at, at worst, uh, a less of a weakness at best, you know, a borderline strength. Like, I think we're all kind of geared towards, you know, having a certain strength in the athletic field, you know, whether that's strength and power, speed and agility, uh, muscle stamina and endurance. Um, and then, you know, your athletic history is going to be able to tell you whether you are a better runner or better swimmer, better capable at rucking, you know, carrying, you know, load bearing, you know, so, so all of those things, I think we tend to gravitate towards a couple of them and get really good at, you know, long before we decide to become SEALs. But then that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you look at any athletics, they're probably neglecting other elements of fitness. So, for instance, you know, Michael Phelps, you know, him running a, uh, a speed drill on land, you know, with an agility ladder won't look the same as someone else who's, you know, who's a football player. Mm-hmm running that same speed and agility ladder. In fact, it might look actually kind of funny, you know, but you throw the other guy in the pool and have him swim. It might be a different story as well. So like I said, the the tactical athlete has to be good at all of those elements of fitness. Mm. You know, you don't need to be great at any one of them, right? You just need to be good at all of them. In fact, I, I was listening to somebody speak and I forget the name where I heard it. It was at the National Strength and Conditioning Association. There's now a tactical strength and conditioning side to that. It's a whole conference just for tactical fitness, which I love. Um, I, I speak there, but I also am a student there too, because mm. there's so much going on there. And what one guy phrased it as, um, you know, you don't need to be an A plus at anything. You just need to be a B plus B at everything. So think of it that way as a tactical athlete. You don't need to be a world-class swimmer to go to SEAL training. You don't need to be a world-class power lifter to handle boats on your heads and logs on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not like that, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you really kind of frame your workouts, you know, I hope not around world-class training systems, right? You don't need to do what Mike Phelps is doing to prepare for buds. You don't need to do what, you know, Olympic lifters and Olympic runners are doing to prepare for 
SEAL training. You know, it's it's a little bit a notch down, but you just got to be durable and be able to handle many, many miles and uncomfortable miles as well. So, And, and a sense of well-roundedness. Yes. You, yeah. you just got to be good at everything. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So you say you don't have to be world-class in everything, but I've seen that video where you do the obstacle course. Oh, yeah. And then they put you in <laughs> ice water. That that was a world-class performance to be well, able to go into an ice bath for an hour and then your shooting after was so spot on. You, you hit the um, the target literally between the eyes and on the hand on his gun. Yeah. How, how did you build that tolerance for ice cold water? Well, you know, that's a good point. Um, uh, you know, it's funny because any SEAL that has saw, have seen that and said, hey, you did a good job, but what's the big deal? We, we all can do that. You, you know, so it's, it's not necessarily a, an outstanding achievement within the community, mm-hmm. right? It was just like, oh, whatever, you know, <laughs> it was, you know, but they were like, hey, you did a good job, you know, fun show, you know, things like that. You made us look good. Um, but no, it was, uh, it, it was, it was a neat show. It was called Fight Science on mm-hmm. National Geographic. And I'm sure you're, it's all over on internet. Uh, mm-hmm. You probably find it on YouTube, but it's, it's a fun show where they basically did a hypothermic test on me where I was stuck in ice for over an hour. And then I had to get out and do a obstacle course and a shooting thing and determine who was the bad guy with the gun, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I, you know, I, I've done so much shooting and I've done so many times, you know, my training has led to near hypothermic or hypothermic situations that I think my body has somewhat um, adapted to that stimulus. And I, I will, I will share this with you. Anytime that I'm in an air conditioned restaurant and I'm drinking iced tea and I will start shaking, like my body thinks, okay, he's cold. He needs to start producing heat. And so I actually literally start shaking and you see, I'm wearing a jacket. I'm in my basement right now and I got a foot heater underneath me and you know, it, it's cold down here. I mean, my hands are cold. So I, I get cold and when I get cold, my body produces, produces heat, um, near immediately, um, which I think is just an adaptation to being underwater and cold, you know, so many times, you know, in my, in my twenties and, you know, early Mm thirties. So, so your incredibly high tolerance for these activities you think is something that was gradually just built in through the training? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now I, you know, I grew up in Florida. I swam, you know, year round and there were some cold spells, but you know, we always, we did have these, uh, freshwater springs in Florida mm-hmm. and they were always at like 70 degrees and we would, we would swim in those things year round and they were great. So I, I mean, only thing I can really think of is that I've been used to water that was not warm, mm-hmm. um, all my life, but uh, I never subjected myself when I was a kid to that kind of long-term cold, you mm-hmm. know, so it wasn't something that, Hey, I got used to shaking all the time because I was in my backyard, just surf torturing myself. That, that didn't happen. You know, I just, you know, your lips turn blue. You know, all kids do it. You know, when, when they're in the pool, you know, their lips are turn blue and they'll be playing Marco Polo until the parents say, mm-hmm. get out of the pool, you know, time to go. So, you know, I, I don't think there's anything extraordinarily that I did throughout my childhood that helped me prepare for that 
other than just being comfortable in the water, which is probably half the battle, um, you know, especially going through training. But for that show, I know that, you know, throughout training, throughout the dive phases, probably the coldest time of my life ever, um, and uh, doing the, uh, you know, I went mini subs, so I was driving the mini subs, so we were constantly wet. You know, mm-hmm. the, some of those dives were six, eight hour dives, frozen, you know, really cold. So just very close to near hypothermic for a while. In fact, for a while there, you know, my body temperature, when, when I would get a fever, I would, I wouldn't be at 98.6. I mean, my body temperature was kind of stuck at like 97, 97.2, somewhere around there. Like I never got 98.6 hmm. even, even when I felt good. I was, I was down a notch, you know? So if I had a 99, you know, and I felt like crap, people would say, ah, oh, you don't have much of a fever. I said, well, I think I do <laughs> you know, because you know, my body temperature just wasn't reading properly for, I think it's kind of equaled out now. I don't have that same issue, but for, you know, during my twenties and early thirties, probably even to my late thirties, it, it hadn't quite adjusted itself. Wow. So, wow. well, you tell me you're the physiologist. <laughs> I'm, is that possible? <laughs> you're, you're an anomaly. I, I don't have research on this. Mm. But so, Stu, you you built all these skills. You have this tremendous adaptation, and then you decide to to go into a line of work now where you're you're building up other people in these sorts of skills. How did you make that transition? Ah, uh, you know what? Um, in my day in the Navy, and you, you probably have seen this with with your experiences, you know, in the Navy, is that. You know, when I joined and in, in, when I got to my team, I remember looking around at the facilities, training facilities, and all that was there thinking my high school football program had better facilities than my SEAL team does, right? And, you know, North Florida is pretty big for football, but still, you know, that, that says a lot, you know, and this was early 90s. So, Flash, flash forward about 15 years, then the human performance side of uh, the military and special ops and the Navy started growing. And now, you know, it is a world-class facility. When you go to the SEAL team, you're going to have trainers, you're going to have athletic uh, trainers, you're going to have doctors and, you know, physical therapists that you don't do some group PT that the best in shape guy at the team is making everybody do. You actually have an individualized program to help you become better and, and healthier. And, you know, it's, it's incredible. So, I mean, there's always, you know, the standard that you have to, to meet, but they're doing it individually with programming, you know, and smart programming. Mm -hmm. Uh, So big fan of what they've done now and the whole human performance side of, you know, especially in the special ops world because they needed it. Mm-hmm. Cause w- when you show up there and, and it's like that, you don't treat yourself like a, uh, you don't treat yourself like an athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, now they actually think of themselves as athletes, yeah. you know, they're tactical athletes, but they think of themselves like athletes. And I think that was a huge transition that, that all the tactical, uh, tactical professions need to try to emulate. And that's what I kind of do with my writing and training is that, you know, I have a program here called the heroes of tomorrow. I train kids for free who want to serve military law enforcement, firefighters. We get a whole lot of spec ops candidates 
and it's so fun and you know give me hope for the future these kids are motivated 6 a.m they show up and we we get after it um a lot of those a lot of those workouts are in these uh like the book that uh, you found me through um are in this um i create these little workouts and i just put them on little cards right yeah. these are this is just one of my pyramid cards right i put them on the card so i don't have to talk about it in the weight room over and over again. I said, just read the card. That's what we're doing. And you got questions, I'll help you. Well, hundreds of those cards made this, Mm -hmm. you know, the the warrior workout program. Um, but that, you know, I always was good at writing. I was one of those kids in in high school that the English teacher would would read their paper at the end of, you know, class or whatever. And uh, my mom, my mom was an English teacher and my dad was a journalist. So I always had extra set of eyes on any writing project mm-hmm. that I ever had, you know? So I, I, I think, do know my, my mom was an English teacher and my dad was a journalist. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so if, I get you, it. There you go. That's yeah. cool. Um, and you know, so I, I just was a good writer mm-hmm. and you know, I, I think I was, I, I learned how to be, I should say, I did, I don't think it came natural. I think I just learned how to do it because of their skill and their teaching. And so it, I didn't really think about being a writer you know, when I got out, I actually got out and that was why I kind of shared that story with you is about the training differences now. But by the time I was 30, I was pretty broken. Mm. Like I had, everything was, I had an ankle, uh, injury that required surgery. I had stress fracture in my femur. I had uh, knee injuries. I had hip and lower back injury and I had a shoulder dislocation. So all that was throughout my 20s that it just kind of accumulated uh, all, all at the same time as when, you know, the Navy's downsizing. They're paying people to get out of the military and I have a kid mm-hmm. all at the same time. So it was almost this perfect storm for. All right. So it's let's let's reconsider your career choice and let's figure out what you're interested in doing. And so I I knew I wanted to do some form of coaching. I just didn't know what kind. And so I got involved with, you know, the National Strength and Conditioning Association, got the CSCS and and just started, you know, coaching and training and writing. And then, you know, military.com picked me up. Um, this publisher picked me up. And then I just started writing articles and books and, you know, creating products. And then, you know, throughout this local training program that I created, which is over 15 years ago now, um, you know, they give me ideas to write about. So, it works for me as well. They get free training, but I'm also coming up with new ideas and new ways to work around injuries or pain or weaknesses and strengths and, you know, to, to achieve a certain goal. So I'm constantly in that world, you know, with a dozen to 20 people, you know, just about every day. And so it just keeps the juices flowing in here Mm -hmm. and, you know, we create methods, you know, we we learn some things not to do uh, as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, I share those in my writings too. And, uh, we just kind of go from there every, you know, one day feeds into the next and, you know, it, it, it's fun watching these people go into their career. It's funny. We just had a guy just finished seal training and he joined into a seal, uh, team and he, the guy that was the commanding officer of his seal team was an old student from 15 years before. So I've reached this this generational yeah. uh, process, which uh, has been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It's it, like I said, uh, it, it makes me feel like I almost have a foot in the door with the, a community that I really love that I want to see do well. But you know, at the same time, diversified their 
training mentality and ethos into all other tactical um, athletics, so to speak, and, and the other professions from military, police, firefighter, you know, other special ops programs as well. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, and so your books are, are influential in all of this and you have a new book out, Warrior Workouts, Volume 3. How did you come to, to putting out that book? Well, you know, it's funny that you should ask that because I didn't come up with the idea. My publisher oh. says, hey, I want to do a book, but it's not a program. Mm -hmm. So all my other books are programs. You know, it's like a 12-week periodization cycle that takes you through the weightlifting cycle or takes you through a, you know, high rep calisthenic testing cycle. You know, they're all kind of geared in these you know, periodization cycles where this one is just a hundred of my favorite workouts of all time. And I actually have three volumes of it. So there's 300 workouts that they're not obviously not all my favorites, but the last one, volume three is actually my favorites. And what I did is I pulled from all other publications, you know, something that I liked from the complete guide to Navy SEAL fitness, something I like from tactical fitness, something I like from tactical strength or maximum fitness or the spec ops workout. You know, these are all published books that my publisher did. And I just said, hey, let's do one. I call it my greatest hits album. Yeah. Right. So, so this is my greatest hits album after a dozen published books. Um, and, uh, this is just, you know, arranged in a way where, you know, it's an upper body one day, it's a lower body, uh, workout number two, um, you know, there's sections. So it's, it's not like a program where you're going to go work out one to work out a hundred there. You have to kind of bounce around and figure out what you want. I call it the a la carte version of, you know, exercise books because you know if you think about it, most people don't necessarily want to invest 12 to 18 to 24 weeks into a program mm -hmm. you know they would rather hey i got this program that works pretty good i just want to add a few things to it so yeah. instead i'll go to exercise number 24 and let's do this upper body run and swim workout right so it, it's more of more that kind of of programming versus an actual program mm -hmm. that will take you from beginner to peak to testing to cool down, you know, a little bell curve of intensity. You know, there's, there's no progression to the, to any of this, you know, it, you know, the first running workout may be a, a six mile run, you know, with some intervals thrown in there versus if one of my programs, it would be a lot lower and, you know, you would actually progress each week. And so you're not overdoing it or hurting yourself. So this one requires a little bit more uh, finesse and a little bit more common sense mm -hmm. to training. Like the last thing you'd want to do is workouts one, two, and three back to back to back because they're all three upper body high volume, mm -hmm. you know, workouts where you're going to do pull-ups every day for, you know, which doesn't make any sense. So there's, there's a guideline in how to use it and how to, how to, you know, go through each of the, the chapters to pick and choose which one you want to do if you want to do it for multiple days in a row. Right. Yeah. I got to kind of spreading out the upper body and the lower body and stuff. Sure. Exactly. And yeah. so you, you pulled from a lot of your different programs for, for people with different specialties from SEALs to SWAT to FBI and all that. If someone is going in and they're, and they're building from this a la carte menu, are there differences in what people with those different aims should be thinking about with their workouts? Should a, should a SWAT guy be thinking different than a SEAL, than a police officer? Um, I, I guess there are elements in each of the days where you don't necessarily have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. Like if, if, for instance, if you were preparing for SWAT training, 
for instance, mm -hmm. and you know that in your SWAT training academy or selection, there's no swimming element to it. Well, you know, don't waste your time doing the swimming stuff if you're if you have the Navy SEAL fitness book you're, or you're doing a workout from the Navy SEAL section. Uh, what I would do is do everything else, the high rep calisthenics, the, the running, um, some of the interval work that's in there, and then maybe replace the, uh, the swimming with something else that's a little more SWAT specific, you know, something that you, you already know you're going to be, you know, wearing a, you know, flak jacket and gear, carrying a weapon, running up six flights of steps for some reason, mm -hmm. you know, six, six flights of stairs. Um, that would be a better use of your time versus, you know, putting on a pair of fins and swimming in the pool. However, you know, if you're kind of banged up and you need a non-impact activity, swimming's a great option for you there. So, you know, once again, it kind of depends mm -hmm. on where you are and where, where, what your needs are for that day. Um, and if you like swimming, by all means, you should swim. I think it's a great cardiovascular activity. However, as you start getting closer to your test or your selection program, you, you might want to get a little more specific to what you're, you know, going to need to be addressing in your near future. So, yeah, this, this, the specificity to the test is a big thing. And it, it comes yeah. up in, in the book, how you talk about even doing some of the tests as a workout to decrease yes. pre-testing anxiety. How, how can people navigate that, that, that test anxiety? Because so much of this is about selection. Yeah, no, that's a great point. You know, I always, I kind of break down tactical fitness into three phases. I call it two through and after, mm -hmm. right? You got to get to the training first. And oh, like typically, podcast. yeah, yeah. Two through and after. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you got to get to the training first, um, which requires you to ace a fitness test, mm -hmm. right? If you don't ace this fitness test, you're not going to be competitive enough to even go to the dance, right? Mm -hmm. And then that, that is typically fitness testing specific. So let's, Let's really take a cycle, and it doesn't have to be a long cycle, you know, maybe six weeks, maybe eight weeks at, at the most of you really kind of gearing your body towards maxing out this fitness test, right? So that doesn't mean every day you're doing push-ups, you know, be smart about it every other day, you know, do your upper body every other day, do your lower body, you know, maybe five days a week run, but you're running, you're not running long distance, you're running short distance just to you know, master this mile and a half or two mile run, you know, so some, some tests are for three miles, you know, so a little bit different, you know, it just depends on what your test is, um, to, you know, to get specific to that type of, uh, distance and speed that that's required for you to be competitive. So that is the two. And then the through, now we got to get even more specific towards your future training, which we kind of discussed there in the, the last little segment there. So if it's a lot of, you know, it's log PT and boats and on your head and a lot of running and rucking, uh, a lot of high rep calisthenics, you know, you have to really be gentle how you mix all those elements of fitness together. You know, I, I would always recommend do a strength cycle, right? And let's focus on building some strength, a little more durability so you don't get crushed under a log. Um, however, if you're from like my background of football, I actually didn't lift for a year and just had a foundation of strength that, that I never lost and just worked on my cardio. So, you know, it, it really depends how you navigate, you know, that process. And then the third phase is, is after all of this. And now you're an active duty member of a, of a SWAT team or a military, uh, unit and you now 
um, have to worry about other things. You don't necessarily have to worry about these two elements of fitness anymore. Now you have to worry about the job requirements, uh, stress mitigation, um, and just long-term health and wellness because you're going to be older longer than you are younger in this job if you should choose to do this for 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's some longevity things that you have to worry about. So three different types of fitness, you know, that kind of, you know, phases of fitness that you have to go through if you're wanting to, you know, go into these tactical professions. And the first one, like you said, it is specific to a fitness test. And unfortunately, sometimes you have to learn how to train for it. And I think the more you learn training for it, you lose that anxiety of the test. Uh, in fact, what we do, we, we do what we do a double PST, mm-hmm. right? So we'll do the regular PST once and we'll just turn around and do the same thing again. And it turns into a great little workout, you know, of, uh, you know, 500 yard swim, push up, sit ups, pull ups, mile and a half run. And what we do is we just run a straight mile and a half down this bike trail that's a paved bike path. And we just, now we're a mile and a half away from the mm-hmm. pool anyway. So we got to run back. Mm-hmm. So we'll run back, do the PT, swim again, cool down. And it makes a great workout. And then, you know, you see people start to figure it out that, okay, I know when I can push, I know when I can throttle back. So they start creating these little strategies in the fitness test versus just going out full speed at no pace regard whatsoever. And then they just fall apart and they can't even finish a 500 yard swim or a mile and a half run or sit-ups for that matter. That's a pacing exercise that a lot of people don't realize. They'll start off way too fast and not last two minutes. Mm -hmm. So I I think, you're right. You know, the specificity of learning how to do this is, is critical. Mm-hmm. So, and, and so it sounds like then does it, does it create for a greater mental toughness as well to do the training or is it that it creates sort of an awareness of your own fitness to, to better do the test? Well, I think any day you work out, you are adding a notch of mental toughness to mm-hmm. your day. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's it's a long term thing. There's no poster that you can look at that's going to make you mentally tough. You know, there's no saying that's going to make you mentally tough. It is being in bed at five thirty and knowing you have to be at the gym at six o'clock or earlier, depending on your your day. Um, and because there's nothing more comfortable than that last 30 minutes in bed. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know, what I mean, it's like I can just stay here all day. You know, is this the best time ever? But I have to get up right now and go work out. That's when you are battling in your head that. And and when you get up and you get out and you get to the gym, you have just increased your mental toughness by a step. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm always a big fan of just getting up and doing it. And, you know, the mental toughness will follow. Then by practicing these warm uh, workouts and then turning elements of the workout into warm-ups. So what I mean by that is, you know, anytime we jump in the pool, we warm up with a 500-yard swim. Mm-hmm. So which, by the way, is the 500, the very first part of the test when you take the PST is a 500-yard swim. So what does that do over and over and over again when you warm up with a 500-yard swim? It turns the 500-yard swim into a warm-up, right? So mentally, all right, I got this 500-yard swim. This is just another workout. I do these as workouts all the time. You know, I know how to do this warm-up, and then the rest of the test, I got it. You know, and it, it it's a mental reframing yeah. of that very 
anxiety-ridden test that mm-hmm. can occur if you're not properly prepared and, and do it enough. You know, I, I'm a big fan of doing it every couple weeks um, at least, you know, and, and if you're going to do it, do it as a workout. Don't do it as, you know, something that you're tapering for and that you need a day off prior. Don't, don't waste a workout on a PST mm-hmm. is what I tell people. So let's go ahead and do that leg day on Thursday. We'll do the PST on Friday. doesn't matter. We're going to learn how to take this PST, even mm-hmm. with sore legs, right? And then when you take it for real, you know, yeah, we'll pull back a notch when you're really getting graded for it. We'll pull back a notch on that day before, maybe do a mobility day and take it real easy and then be well-rested, well-tested, and go crush that test the next day. So that's kind of how we prepare for, you know, the, the challenges of, of fitness tests, which can definitely be, um, definitely cause some anxiety and which can cause performance issues too, with too much anxiety because you get too anxious, you get nervous and butterflies, you throw up, you know, now you've just lost a lot of your uh, fuel Mm -hmm. for that event and you know, it doesn't taste good, you know, so you got this horrible taste running in your mouth, you know, to to start off a a run. So anyway, it's just, yeah, there's a lot of reason why you you would want to uh, definitely practice this thing to a, to a degree to where the anxiety goes away. And you can honestly say, this is just another workout. Yeah. 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 And, And Stu, you mentioned taking a mobility day and this seems to be a, a growing trend this emphasis oh. on mobility yes why why is that so important and, and why was it missed in earlier years you know that's such a good question because i haven't i started doing it at 40 mm-hmm. right and i created my own little mobility day out of just saying you know what i'm really beat up it's thursday i've had three hard workouts you know, and I just took it as like, it's, this is for me because I'm old and you guys are 20 years younger than me. Right. So I just, I would do a mobility day on a day they would do their second leg day. Mm -hmm. Right. So my mobility day looks like this. I do five minutes of bike or elliptical or rowing, uh, five minutes of foam rolling or stretching. And I repeat that five times. So it takes me about an hour to do that. And it, I walk out of there feeling no pain. And then we go to the pool. And so instead of really hitting it hard in the pool, doing sprints or anything like that, I just do a nice, easy five-minute swim. I do a five-minute tread with no hands and just try to work my hips and legs, right, all different kinds of of methods. Um, And then I do all the old dynamic stretches that uh, you would do before a workout or before a game maybe, like Frankensteins and, you know, leg swings and, you know, karaoke's and, you know, all those things. Mm-hmm. I do them in chest deep water for about five minutes. And let me tell you, I walk out of there and I'm turning 50 this year. I walk out of there and I feel no pain mm-hmm. whatsoever. Nothing hurts me. Wow. And, th- and that has been a big tool for me to now go into Friday and Saturday's workout with that extra mobility day in there and crush those. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know, I would come in on Friday morning limping around, barely able to go through my warm-ups, feeling like crap. Still do the workout, but just because I'm stupid. Uh, and then I would do Saturday's workout, which was even worse. You know, it's just like, man, I'm just beat up. I need, I just need to sleep in. And, you know, I was done, right? So now that 
throwing that mobility day in there in the middle of the week really helps me create the second half of that week's workout being a lot more productive and, uh, you know, performance gains. So I, I've noticed that in myself. I started making my guys do it, you know, that were 20 years younger than me, and now they just love it. It is, it is one of the things that gets them through the week, and then I can see, you know, their Fridays and Saturdays or, you know, even off the charts from where they used to be. Mm-hmm. So it's been a good tool. You know, you, you don't sometimes less is more, yeah. you know, yeah, you know instead, instead of killing yourself for a spec ops job seven days a week, you know, take a day off on Sunday is what we do. And then we throw in that mobility day in the latter half of the week. And that that just makes performance gains uh, really go off the chart for us. Right. Right. And, and as you pointed out, that allows you to work at higher intensity the next day instead of just limping through. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah. And, uh, and Stu, you are, you are someone who I, I mentioned you before this, I've seen your books around for a long time. You're, you're yeah. really known in this space. If someone wants to be more entrepreneurial, they're, they're a military person and they want to move into that space, maybe write a book or something. What advice would you have for that person? Oh, I got a ton of advice mm-hmm. for it. Um, First of all, I would say, yes, do something that you love to do, whatever field that is. It doesn't have to be fitness. It can be whatever, you know, car detailing, you know, whatever. But, you know, get a website, right, mm-hmm. and, and get a website that you can link into social media. So what I've been able to, to do over the, the last 20 years in this business is, is I, I remember the day when people were excited to get emails, Right. 20 years ago, you know, I'd get this little you've got mail. Right. And everybody was excited about it. Well, I probably delete 75 percent of my emails now because they're not anything I even need to look at. And it's just spam stuff. So a lot of people just, you know, trash their emails. So, you know, maybe email marketing isn't I don't think it's dead, but it's just different. Mm -hmm. Right. And not everybody's going to find you through Google now. I mean, people will. But they're also going to find you on social media. Mm-hmm. And if you can have a website platform like uh, I use Shopify mm-hmm. for my StuSmithFitness.com. Um, and that allows me to go right into Facebook store, Instagram store, uh, Twitter. You know, I can actually have these hyperlinks that go on to my social media where people find me they, you know they they want to see the social media post they don't want to see your email they want to see the social media post but now you can just click a picture and that picture goes right to your website you know to be able to buy that that product you know that's tagged in it so that has been a huge change and that's just within the last year mm-hmm. so if you if you're going to build a website build a website that is that is multi-dimensional that allows you to go into social media because that, that will that will help you grow your list. You know, there, there used to be email lists, you know, you just got from, you know, buying email lists or, you know, you actually had to get so many customers that you would have created an email list. Um, and I still send my newsletters out for free to people who are on my email list that are customers. And, you know, I, I look at the, the demographics or the, the statistics of, of uh, who's opening them. And even my own customers, you know, probably have about a 10% open rate, yeah. you know, which in 
email marketing, 10% is pretty good, you know, but come on, man, these are my own customers. They don't want to see my latest article that I wrote, my latest video that I wrote. And that's what I try to send them. So where I'm, I'm seeing most of the uptick in Mm -hmm. communication with customers and future customers is being able to, you know, um, take advantage of, you know, building a social media presence, uh, somehow, yeah. you know, and just get, get a Instagram, Twitter, I mean, Instagram by far, probably Instagram, mm-hmm. Facebook, mm-hmm. and, um, and just start growing, you know, posting things up there that that's useful, uh, can be an article, could be a blog post, could be a question, you know, some, some of my yeah. best posts are questions, you know, just ask people and people will sit there and answer you. Mm-hmm. So I, I've actually created a book from crowdsourcing a question. Wow. So I posted a question up and I said, what motivates you to train? Hmm. Right. And I probably got 200 excellent answers and I just put them, put them at a hundred reasons why to train, hmm. you know, <laughs> you know, why to, you know, achieve your fitness goal or whatever. And, uh, yeah, just create a little ebook and a printed book out of it. And, um, it's not a huge seller, but it was something unique that I was really originally just going to write a 10 piece article you know, the top 10 of why people train. Great article. It was a great article, but I had so many. I was like, I'm going to write a book. Yeah. Yeah. And put it up on Amazon. So, yeah. And it was, uh, it was a self-published thing, but it's still, it was fun, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, th- there's a lot of, a lot of usefulness in that. So I would say, you know, take a look at some of the veterans that are out there that are, are doing really well in this. Uh, and they all started by social media and, you know, brought social media, brought people to their website and they sell shirts or they sell, you know, a couple of them make movies and, you know, do all kinds of, a couple of them that are really successful are training dogs. You know, they were dog mm-hmm. handlers in the SEAL mm-hmm. teams. And now he's, you know, teaching people how to, you know, train dogs and take care of your dog and, does it amazingly well. So you, you can take some of your skills that you've, you've learned in the military and, you know, help people, you know, for almost go from a, you know, tactical to practical mentality uh-huh. with, uh, with, with some of your skill sets because it, it's, they're valuable. So mm-hmm. don't underestimate yourself and, you know, get out there and, and try it. Well, Stu, before I ask my last question, then where should people look for you on these platforms and things online? Well, um, I am, if you go to stusmithfitness.com, you'll see links to all the social media, but I'm on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. I got a lot of YouTube videos, probably a couple hundred videos. Um, I have a podcast that I I store on YouTube, but they're also on iTunes and Google play. Mm -hmm. Um, so you can get them from there. Uh, and it's called the tactical fitness report. So basically very similar to what you and I just did. Uh, less about me, but more about topics mm-hmm. of, uh, of, you know, tactical fitness issues that people have and various jobs from, from, uh, military, law enforcement, firefighter, special ops. And, uh, you know, we talk everything from aging in those jobs as well as nutrition and it's a lot of fun. I, I think it's, uh, something that, um, I've, I've enjoyed doing and it's, you know, once again, it's another form of media. I, I consider myself a writer. But, you know, you really kind of have to di- diversify, you know, with your media processes as well. And you know, there's something I heard a while back ago is, is you, know, you can't be uh, a business person that sells X. You know, you need to be a media company that sells X. Mm. 
So you can't be a real estate agent that sells real estate. You have to be a media company that sells real estate. Mm. And you do that by all these, you know, different methods of, of media that that are so available now that people are into, you know, and it's a great way to get in touch with people. So doesn't mean that email marketing is dead or conventional advertising is dead and newspapers and magazines just, you know, it's, it, that is a form of media. You know, you, sh- you should definitely look into those, especially if you have a local market, but if you have an online market, you know, might not apply to you as much. You know, you need to do more of the, the electronic media yeah. you know, to get things around. So I tell you, this is something I do too. Um, this, this is a, a business tip, right? So whenever um, someone orders a book from me, right? Let's say, let's say they order this warrior workout, number three. Well, I'm going to sign it, little personal thing that I do. I'm going to stick one of these little things in here, right? It's a, basically just a coupon for online training, Right. And then I got this little sticky notepad here. Right. That uh, you see that. Mm-hmm. Right. So just personalize it, put a little never quit on it. And then there's little discount codes for future purchases. So that's uh, that's something that uh, just keeps people engaged. Yeah. Right. It keeps, oh, I can save 50 bucks on this if I do that, you know, or 25 percent off my next my next order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it just, you know, like I said, it's uh, something that. You know, if you're going to sell something out of your, out of your house or out of your business, you know, make sure that you know people know how to get back in touch with you. Yes. You know, for future sales. So, because you, you may find that uh, f- probably close to fifty, you know, forty to fifty percent of your business will be return customers. Mm-hmm. So take care of your return customers. Is my advice to folks that are getting into business. Absolutely. And StuSmithFitness.com is the yep. hub for all of that. Uh, and that's S-T-E-W, like the soup. Got it. So. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Stu, my, my final question is, if you're talking to someone who's a leader of a team and they want to get that whole team thinking about their profession like athletes, what suggestion would you give them? Ooh, well, I would say this. Um, I would say, you know, you have to lead by example mm-hmm. up front first. I, I, I found that... Um, you know, going to SEAL training and having a boat crew, you know, of guys that we were going to go through SEAL training together, you know, I felt like I needed to be one of the best at whatever we did, you know, to make this boat crew go well together. And then I could push, I could push people, you know, appropriately, you know, to, to have them reach their potential. Right. Um, and, and that worked really well. In fact, we, we had everybody in my boat crew make it through and, you know, they, they, they finished hell week and, you know, we didn't have any quitters in there and we were winning races. Yeah. The whole boat crew. Yeah. So we, we did really well. We just had a really good boat crew. Now you got to admit these things are all done by size and my, my height was like five eleven six feet. So everybody in that boat crew was five eleven six feet tall and probably 190, 200 pounds. So, you know, we, we were all pretty strong. And, uh, so I, th- I think we were, we, we just had the luck of the draw of having a good, good boat crew, but, you know, at the same time we were in it together, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think that's the big thing is being in it together because, um, you know, you got a whole lot of things coming at you from different avenues when you're in business, you know, from the home life, from competitors to, you know, just, you know, work environment, you know, if you can make that work environment positive 
and you know people see your direction or where you want to go and they and you're leading by example and out there not not scared to go out there and get business yourself you know even as the ceo i always thought that was kind of fun as uh, you know, when CEO was at a, a party and you'd be like, what's he at a party for? But then he brings in like three extra new, new clients, you mm-hmm. know, for the business. You're like, Oh, that's what he was doing. So you, you see that and it kind of trickles down and then you, you want to do the same thing. You want to bring more people in and, you know, bring more business to that, to that group. And I think it becomes a very unique dynamic when you see it from the top down. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that would be my, my advice to anybody going into, uh, wanting to start a company, uh, being a leader of a company is it really does start from the top down and, you know, make sure your guys are trained, not only trained, but also maybe if there is an, a way to do it is to help people learn other people's jobs to a degree, mm. have a little diversity, you know, in your training in there. So, you know, one day somebody may not be there because they're on travel or ill and you got to have somebody fill in their shoes if you don't have temps that can come in and do that. Sometimes you can outsource these things too if you're lucky, but sometimes small businesses aren't allowed that, you know, luxury. So, you know, sometimes, you know, having you know somebody that can come in there and do that job or yourself if you have to, right? Get there and fill in the 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 blank spots that that are that are filled in because, you know, you as a business leader need to also know what everybody does and, and at least be able to, to converse on it, you know, with a almost expert level, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to help people say, Hey, here's what you need to do since someone's gone, you know, let's, let's put it all together. And, but, you know, hopefully have a plan for that as well, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so let people know that, Hey, you know, things aren't going to run smoothly every day. You know, things are going to pop up and someone's going to be out of the office and we're going to need that person you know, we're, we're going to need to know what everybody's doing and communicating. So once again, communication is a real big key to that, whether it's a big board in the middle of the room. So everybody knows where you are and what you're doing and, you know, what project you're working on, you know, to be able to pull, you know, information back and forth. So it's, that's a big question that, that you asked. And there's a lot of answers that are floating around, but, you know, I, I would think that leading by example, communications up and down and, uh, being able to, um, you know, do the job yourself, you know, as a leader, but also, you know, motivate to a degree where, you know, you don't necessarily have to go be a cheerleader, but, you know, people see the positive, you know, business and the positive outcome that you're bringing to that group and they'll want to do the same thing. If you're bringing negativity, they're not going to want to do anything, you know, so it's, you know, it really comes down to just being a good guy in the end. You know, you just have to have to be able to listen, have to be able to speak, have to be able to lead by example, and you know, and do the deed. So, there you go. That's, Excellent, Stu. Thank yeah. you so much. Sure. Yeah. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Everybody, that was Stu Smith, former Navy SEAL, coach of Navy SEALs, SWAT operators, FBI operators and tactical athletes around the world, and the author of Warrior Workouts. And if you want to help us get more great guests like this on the show, then be sure to give us a review on iTunes, and we'll catch you next time.